Project Lawful aka Plane Crash by Yarwain aka Eliezer Yudkowski and Lintamande. Thread 4, Project Lawful and Their Oblivious Boyfriend. Episode 99. Asmodeus is a god whose concerns span many worlds, more than is true of most of his rivals. There are advantages to a narrow portfolio of worlds on which you intervene. Gods that are stretched thinner face sharper trade-offs, and Asmodeus's great power cancels this disadvantage, but could instead be applied to turning it into an advantage. But while to a good god, the existence of a god with the same values in another world is almost exactly as good as being there yourself. This is not true to an evil god, or at least not true to Asmodeus. And so, where Iomede would sooner raise another hero in another world than colonize it with her own church, if she had the chance to do either, Asmodeus works in both of them. Golarion is nonetheless a substantial and important part of Asmodeus's portfolio. He worked very hard on Cheliacs. He is observing closely the events unfolding in the interdiction zone, even forbidden as he is from interfering. He has questions. This squirrel over here, a fairly pleasing squirrel, got selected as an oracle by Caden Kalian, and has maintained her absolute loyalty to Asmodeus, and might even be making some genuine progress on becoming the shape Asmodeus wants squirrels to be. This squirrel right nearby burns with conviction in her faith in him and with impossible-to-read-from-this-angle plans to alter hell, while somehow being a cleric of Irori's now. Most mortals who want to alter hell do not have an idea that serves Asmodeus, and in fact it's out of disloyalty to Asmodeus that they imagine his hell in need of any alteration. But Asmodeus is not impossible to impress, and the scope of his squirrel's current ambitions in Galarian looks like something that would impress him if they pull it off. Certainly he'd see it tested whether they had anything else interesting in them. And Irori has at least moderately good taste in picking his favourites, though he doesn't generally pick loyal Asmodeans. Asmodeus's intervention budget is large, but substantially expended in setting up Cheliacs in the first place. It would be costly to him to act, and also unwise because he doesn't understand why things are going so well, and could easily accidentally make them go worse. But he watches, and he does float, generally, that he'll do information trades relating to his nest of squirrels. You offer to pay a standard amount for everything you know about why my squirrel spent a day in magical stasis of some kind. Deal, I have no idea. Caden Kalian has higher quality information than that potentially on offer, and is, of course far more predictable about providing good value on trades than such a relatively more unreliable being as Asmodeus. Here's the price if Abadar still wants to know, with an additional discount, if he further agrees not to resell the information to Asmodeus. Sure, Abadar will agree to the discounted price for not reselling to Asmodeus. Is Caden Kalian meddling just so he can feel self-important about having annoyed Asmodeus? That'd truly say more about chaotic good than anything Asmodeus could say. It's because the Asmodeans are realising how far they're running behind your cleric, and they're putting him on hold without him knowing that, so that they have a day to breathe and catch up. They'll probably do it again at least once or twice while waiting for their rings of sustenance to kick in. The actual methodology is 
Petrification and Depetrification by Abrogale Thrun. That sure does sound like a game the Asmodeans are eventually going to lose. Rings of sustenance or no? What is the aim of Caden's interventions? Is it a shared interest? No. Abadar should not assume that anything Caden Kalian is trying to do is to Abadar's benefit, or that it should be allowed to proceed unhindered in the name of implicit allyship or good fellowship. Irori has a question, but he fears that the question itself will give more information to Asmodeus than Irori is expecting to receive in return from him, let alone pay him. If only there was some other entity around who took a less adversarial stance towards its trade partners. Depends on the question. But if Caden Kalian turns it down, there won't be a charge, and he won't use new implicit info thereby gained against Irori's interests, nor resell it. Irori isn't expecting much, but it's worth a shot. There was a mortal, Carissa Saver, who thought she was going to lose her eternity. Petrification and depetrification by Abrogale Thrun. If Caden Kalian had a silver for every time, that's been the answer to a god's question about Project Lawful. He'd have two silvers. Which isn't a lot, but it's weird that it happened twice. Okay, but why is Carissa Savar now stronger in her heart, and Will bearing no such scars as would be expected from her ordeal? Abrogale Thrun petted her hair afterwards and told her she did well. Irori is probably not going to get this from the angle he looks at mortals. Huh. This is one of those weird sex-dominance submission things, isn't it? Yes, actually. Caden Kalian was not expecting Irori to figure that out, given the sort of god he is now. Irori does not take well to being told there are things he'll never understand just because he's a god. Should Irori maybe steer some of his other promising candidates Abrogale Thrun's way? Caden Kalian isn't touching this one. PL timestamp, day 8, 7, noon PL. Place stamp, Igorian, Imperial Palace, Storage Room, hash 14. They are meeting, this time, in a hastily cleaned and not at all decorated storage room, dressed in the least interesting clothing that either of them actually owns. It's not clear that this helps in any way, but one must concede no possible advantage to the tropes. Abrogale Thrun reads the written proposal from Aspexia Rugaton without her expression changing in the slightest, then tosses it on the table brought between them. In fact, the same thought had occurred to me says the Queen of Cheliacs, though in a more intelligent version than this crude plan. I am pleased that you suggested it yourself, though. I will accordingly count this deed as one of the two such requests you may make of me under my compact. Bluff. No, the thought truly occurred to me, after you told me to despair that we could evade these tropes. I did come into conflict with Keltham, and according to his thoughts, now that such has occurred, my two possible final fates are either to be deposed or to marry him. But I may hope for some flexibility on interpretations. I admit, if that was not your logic behind this idea, I have no idea what was. Even you would not suggest this merely in hope of a government more sympathetic to talk of corrigibility, not at a juncture this vital where we must somehow bend tropes to our will. My thought was that for you to do this thing without Keltham's knowledge, would make this story irrevocably a Dath Ilani tragedy. Even if he triumphed in all other ways, his triumph would be poisoned if we did as I suggest. Then, with the final trend of the story fixed in fate, we can proceed to ensure it is a very great tragedy indeed. I hope you are not suggesting I am that bad in bed. Abigail, be serious if you have that capacity at all. Fine. Yes, it takes some twisting away from sanity. 
but I can imagine Keltham or his civilization feeling that his story cannot be a good one so long as this one matter goes awry. You are underestimating how many different ways the tropes could turn that ploy into something his civilization would consider ultimately a triumph, even if the basic plan goes off as you suggest. But that flaw can be repaired, I do think, and sufficiently great tragedy ensured. It is more a defect of your own lack of cleverness than an inherent failure of the premise. Hold. It seems that Project Lawful has sent me a message marked as true top priority. I would guess another Atollman's event. Shall we? Yes, have it brought here. The Queen sighs. Aspexia reads the top message first, from Pilar Pineda, without her expression changing in the slightest. Underneath that is a further sheaf of papers, marked with a hasty and non-standard warning that the outsider believes this lecture of Asmodia's could cause brain damage to people with artifact-level headbands. Although, if the reporting security is tracking this all properly, that is probably Keltham being misled, based on what was actually just one manic episode in Asmodia. The subsequent material is marked with a possibly misguided warning from Keltham that reading it might cause brain damage to those with artifact-grade headbands, Aspexia says, handing both reports to the Queen. I shall let you read it, then, instead of myself. Tell me of only the consequences for unraveling the Atollman's event. Unless it has somehow changed since I last read it, I do believe my compact with Asmodeus prohibits you from deliberately leading me into harm. Don't pretend you wouldn't ignore the warning and read it anyways. I am saving us some time. Aspexia Rugaton does not really understand, on an intuitive level, why this queen is not dead twelve times over. The queen reads the cover report, followed by the full transcript. Well, this is fascinating material, and optimistic in its news, I dare say. If I am reading correctly, most Dath Elani are too weak and indulged for them to make proper use of their own law. We may hope for Asmodians of true faith to become stronger than their Kelthams, the equals of their keepers who correct themselves without mercy. Really? I would be tempted to read it, save that I could hardly tell the difference if Abrogale Thrun went madder, and so your continued beingness of yourself presents me with no proof about my own safety. Set that aside. What of Pilar's curses claim to her that the deed served Otolmens's interest? Was there anything in the transcript which made sense of that? That must be our most urgent question. In terms of what stands out within the transcript upon a glance, Keltham said that keepers would be those responsible for closing the world wound, or for guarding such dangerous information as he thought had been created by Asmodia. Fearing the dread consequence of mild unhappiness that might go along with seeking this benefit, he attempted to forbid his women from becoming keepers or teaching others to become such. Pilar chastised him for standing between his women and Asmodeus, at her curse's prompting, going into some detail on why our lord would wish it so, and her own nature that seeks to be corrected by him, and Keltham now seems on course to relent. Hmm. You think that it serves a Tolman's interest for there to be keepers in Galarian? That Doth Elan's arts would inevitably destroy our world, absent their keepers to contain them, is an obvious thought. Perhaps too obvious. Caden Kalian has played a very tight game, and I wonder if this obvious reading, 
seemingly all helpful compliance and mutual interest, is meant to conceal some deeper sting. I wonder if Asmodia would see the sting already, as clearly as do I. Still not seeing it. This act could have advanced Asmodeus's interests in their sum by ensuring that Project Lawful brings the Keepers into existence here, thereby preserving Galarian. While at the same time, for example, giving Keltham more information about Asmodeus than we would have wished. With his left hand, somewhere we are not looking, Caden K. Leon sets in motion events detrimental to Asmodeus but also threatening the world. With his right hand, Caden K. Leon averts the greater threats and damages Asmodeus's interests further along the way. And then, reassures Pilar that Asmodeus will be better off in the end for her own deeds, compared to if she had never been made oracle. Ah, I see. Well, if it is that obvious to you, it may still not be the real sting. Yet, perhaps you should inquire of Pilar about that. I shall inquire of Pilar's curse, or snack service, as they've now named it. Pilar is an Asmodean in good standing, better indeed than yours, that cannot possibly be protectiveness that I hear. Possessiveness, Pilar, is mine, even as, I must now concede, Savar is become yours. The queen smiles. I suppose I can agree with that division, she says pleasantly. But this Asmodia must become able to teach my successor. I will entertain proposals which do not interfere with that. Mm. You know, if any man had ever successfully done to me, as Keltham did to Asmodia, I think I would wed that one. I have no idea where you're heading with this, yet am already certain that it is nowhere good. I want to try my hand at Asmodia's game against Keltham. I really, really want to. It has occurred to me more than once that it is a weakness of our entire system of government, that no one can assign you two hours of flaying. Such lack of supervision cannot but have ill effects on a young lady. I was about to say that you should helpfully remind me of the compact I have signed forbidding me to meddle with Keltham without the church's consent, and tell me that the church will not consent. It will not. Stay home and fight your war. Why is everything in that faraway fortress so much more interesting than everything here in Agorian? How dare they lead less predictable lives than mine? It seems hardly fair I am not allowed to become a project lawful girl myself when I am so much better qualified than all those other candidates. I can only hope one day we have a chelish sovereign who considers it beneath her dignity to whine about unfairness like a child too young to remember her last correction for that. Show a little patience, your infernal magistrix. If all goes according to plan, you will have your own Dathilani to play games against. Better death, Ilani, if all your immense optimism bears out about the meaning of today's transcript. Perhaps even... Don't say it. The audience isn't supposed to know what we are talking about at this point in the plot. I had intended to speak as circuitously as before, of course. And it occurs to me to ask, does that ploy still work even if we speak aloud of the ploy itself? I believe so. On the dramatic principles I know, that should leave the enticing mystery unrevealed. I wonder, is it required that there be an audience, somewhere, for all of this theory to operate? Can we deduce the existence of such an audience, watching us, 
from such events happening to us at all? That, going on Keltham's earlier thoughts detected by myself and also his more recent transcripts, I would conjecture to be the domain of anthropics. But if the answer is ultimately yes, then I do solemnly avow to you who may be watching that should the victory be mine, I will do my best to make evil's victory more interesting to you than any triumph of good could ever be. Pell time stamp, day 8-7. Noon PL, place a stamp. Atollman's Containment Zone, Project Lawful Main Site. Carissa would honestly be content to just lie here not talking all afternoon, but regrettably she has a job, which is figuring out how well Keltham is taking all of the new things he learned about Asmodean theology. And also being appealingly happy and adorable, so he's tempted to keep pushing himself on this front. The two don't obviously go well together, but you are my favorite person, she declares, running a second prestidigitation on top of the first one so that she can make the sheets trail glitter as she cleans them. And High Priestess Subirox is my second favorite person. And Abigail is my third favorite person, though she'd probably be higher if she hadn't specifically told me to absolutely not go falling in love with her. I should probably try to just accept all that and not ask questions. I'm still not seeing the adorable romance of being stabbed in the stomach with an illusionary knife. But then, I've also never understood what any woman I've dated has ever seen in me at all, or for that matter seen in men in general. I would date women, so my confusion is staying perfectly on trend. I actually think I might have half of the explanation for the appeal of being stabbed in the stomach with a fake knife. I was thinking about this while you and Asmodia were flirting. So in Dathalon, a skill people try to display at each other when they're flirting is intelligence of a very particular type, right? Playing on more levels than the other person, making better predictions, and the game itself is appealing in a romantic sense and winning at it is more so? Pretty much. Asmodia is supposed to be impressed with me and then also feel moved that such an impressive person as myself wants to date her. Right. So, Galerion is a lot more dangerous than Dothilon, and an extremely impressive trait in a person is their ability to wield power so that they and the people close to them are safe from that danger. So along with signaling intelligence at each other, we signal dangerousness at each other. A dangerous person is one who, if you are theirs, will be competent to defend you and ruthless about tracking down anyone who murders you and steals your soul or whatever. Yeah, somebody killing you and stealing your soul would not be an especially good idea at this point. I wouldn't be my usual cautious, hesitant, timid self about that. I suppose if I asked what it proves to stab somebody with an illusionary knife while they're chained up and can't fight back, you'd tell me it was more of a direct perceptual update than a carefully reasoned argument. Mmm, I have my probabilities that you would be dangerous in my defense, and those didn't change much, but the part of my brain that instinctively tracks every person around me and how scary they are definitely learned something new about how scary you are. It's much better at listening to knives than reasoned arguments. That actually seems fair. I am more dangerous than I would be if I couldn't manage to do that. Though I'd then go on to guess that Dathalani women wouldn't find it romantic to be stabbed like that. At all. And while it's sexy that your combat potential is so much higher than mine, I think you turning that against me would grate against something very deep inside myself. 
I think a Dath Ilani woman would probably feel the same about a man showing that he was willing to be dangerous at her, that it would make him less appealing to her. And I doubt civilization is old enough for us to be that much further away from the original conditions, the early conditions, when our distant ancestors in Dath Ilan would have also needed to be dangerous to each other. I'd guess that worlds with masochists have this, and worlds without masochists don't. And so there's more to it than the reasoning you just described that should go through anywhere dangerous. So I kind of have a theory that Dath Ilanism might accidentally crush some things about the way I am, so if you had children with it, they wouldn't grow into adults with it. But I'm not very sure I can just sort of feel it in tension, and maybe I'd have found a resolution even in Dath Ilan. Also, at least some of attraction is in Dath Ilan. Even if you had delightfully complicated feelings about your boyfriend being scary towards you, everyone knows that he's not supposed to do that. So it must have been a failure of self-control, and failures of self-control are not generally appealing. And if you told your friends they'd think he was much less valuable and people want lovers they can show off. Even I could analyze a tangle like that and cut through it simply by describing it out loud to everyone in the room. It's not a complicated or a difficult tangle to say nothing of the very smart people who are smarter than the other people, or the keepers. I think, though, that something like what you're describing could have happened much, much earlier in civilization, before we'd optimized our heritage as much, when people were less intelligent and had less knowledge of how tangles like that worked. Though it wouldn't be exactly what you're describing, because that would have made sadists less appealing, not made masochists less appealing. But either some factor present only in Galarian, like gods, produced the Yaisas and Pilars and Carissas, or they would have existed for me in Dath Alani, but somehow got differentially replicated out of existence hundreds of years earlier. If the latter were true, that'd be awfully sad, but the former does seem more likely. Her first instinct is that it seems odd to have people who like hurting others if there was never at any point in history the corresponding thing, but it's a stupid thought. Historically, they'd just have hurt people who didn't like it. And then at some point, Dath Ilan decided to be too good to allow that, and quite possibly hid all of their history so their enormous population of unhappy, sexually unfulfilled sadists wouldn't realize what good had taken from them. She feels cold horror and anger, like she's only felt when she's heard good people saying truly sickening things, like that hell should be destroyed and every devil with it. Not the time to voice any of that aloud, though. I guess the gods might have done it. Pilar was talking at dinner about how her curse worked in testing in Agorian, and it struck me as seeming suspiciously optimized to let you have her around both your hang-ups. Maybe Caden Kylian works very hard to maintain the ratios of various kinks, in general, and no one appreciates his effort. Suspiciously optimized around both of my hang-ups? You're going to have to unpack a lot there before I can determine whether I owe Caden Kylian a large favor or not. Both her hang-ups and yours, Carissa clarifies. Uh, so the specific thing that she said was that they tested under what conditions she could throw a party for someone. Could she... Root out corruption by trying to host a we-caught-you-being-corrupt party for everyone in the palace who took bribes to ignore laws, that kind of thing. And the answer, as far as they could tell, 
you'd have to ask her or Igorian for the whole record of tests, manufactured real yesterday for this specific ploy, was that she only finds herself somewhere in possession of snacks to hand out if she sincerely wants good for that person, and if it's good for her too. People can summon her to their door with snacks by saying, Hey Pilar, I want to have fun, but only if they actually want to have fun and only if she will also have fun. See where I'm going with this? I didn't say anything to Pilar so as not to ruin the surprise. I'm going to have to think about whether that counts as non-consensual mind-reading. While carefully ignoring any thoughts about whether Caden would have already predicted my decision about that, because otherwise, my decision is just whatever Caden tells me it is, and then Caden has nothing meaningful to predict. Also, do you know offhand which experiments they did to test the distinction between person thinks Pilar will have fun and Pilar will actually have fun? You'd have to ask Agorian for the list of experiments, or ask Pilar. I think sometimes the source of the result was just, uh, the curse straight up giving her an impression of why it wasn't cooperating? Like it'd outright say to her, sure, that'll be good for you, or no, because someone would get hurt. Well, I'll read the report and then figure out my own experiments to test it, I suppose. Sounds good. I assume I am not allowed to summon Pilar to my bed with cake and then fuck her even if I am less scrupulous than you and think it'd go fine? I think I have to know Pilar a little better, maybe. Just so it didn't feel weird that you were having sex with her at all. But no, I'm not imposing my scruples on you here. For some reason, my brain thinks the conspiracy is trying to lure me specifically into doing things that civilization would think are awful but that model of the conspiracy isn't particularly chuckling about, like, the conspiracy telling you and Pilar to get it on one night, if you see what I'm saying. How would Adath Ilani do this? Presumably, if there is a conspiracy, Pilar and I are both gifted top-secret actresses who have collaborated on many similar conspiracies anyway, and our private habits are of no concern to the conspiracy. Thought of a way you could check if I'm the person you met at the World Wound. Should I not tell you? Since it hadn't even occurred to me to worry about that, I'll say sure. Huh? Really? If I was a conspiracy, I would not want random world-wound wizards in on it. They're probably much worse actresses than my usual conspirators. Anyway, that spell for noticing spies in other planes that your god gave you before we got the forbiddance up, possibly as a way to tell us to do a forbiddance. Glimpse of beyond? Also detects if people are polymorphed, which I think security mentioned at the time, but then a bunch of stuff happened. Yeah, that is the sort of thing that's more effective if I can spring it as a surprise. Still, I can think of the correct surprising point to spring it, if that's not too obvious. So sure and thanks. Plus some additional points from the fact that my god is relatively less likely to be in the conspiracy and did show me that spell. Meaning it wasn't selected to be easy for you to defeat but it could potentially have been something that only worked if I used it at the right time that day before anyone was prepared for it. I'd rather not talk about this while snuggling right now, I notice. I don't know the correct surprising point to spring it. Unless it's while I'm altering self anyway in order to not get pregnant, at which time, if the spell works as promised, you'll see through the polymorph into my real face and confirm at once that this is my real face and that the spell does see through polymorphs. In which case, that's too obvious. And that makes sense. 
sorry, we can talk about something nicer. That was it. Thanks for telling me it was obvious. Some of the tension is easing in him, as Carissa behaves a bit more like a Dathalani would around his problem. It's what Alter Carissa would do. Rude Alter Carissa, making their lives harder. Though on this front, at least, there really is nothing to hide. What should we talk about instead? Sexual fantasies we had before we met each other? How unreasonably hot Abigail is? If Abigail seems unreasonably hot, that's a defect of the process you were using to reason about hotness, not a defect of Abigail, and you should replace this obviously flawed reasoning method with one that finds reality less surprising. So, how much does it cost to look that hot? Are you planning on doing that in the limit of infinite money? Would you like me to look hotter because I am not necessarily opposed to this line of reasoning? I don't know, but reasoning from the cost of the enhancements wizards go for, probably a hundred thousand gold, maybe two hundred thousand. When we have infinite money, I don't see why not. If it gives us unreasonable standards, we can simply do it to everyone else too. What'll they do for a couple of hundred gold? Seems silly to spend less than that if it's spendable. I think that'd probably get you something like the treatment I got last week, though I don't know if the options for men price out differently. Now that I think about it, if I'm not allowed to leave here, that's going to end up being almost entirely transportation costs to bring somebody here. Well, maybe they can hitch a ride on travel that's occurring anyways, if the number of people moving isn't already at capacity. Or maybe the part of governance that does teleports is on some totally other budget, like security. Well, if it's actually that cheap, I'll probably want to do it just because, you know, I can. I'd ask what it takes to turn more resilient, according to you, but I don't feel like rechaining you and tickling it out of you right now. Is there any equivalent for becoming physically stronger, speaking of old fantasies? Bull's strength, like owl's wisdom but for the body. I'd say guaranteed not to cause personality changes that can't be easily reverted, but I've started to get kind of superstitious about saying things like that. Comes in a spell your god can give you or a permanent magic item, usually a belt. Cost of belt. Depends how strong you want to be. Cheapest one is 4,000 gold. I'll try the spell and see if it's instantaneously addictive. Nobody ever died of having more motivation to make more money. Probably a lot of people have died of that. But I approve of you getting stronger, on the same level as I approve of you stabbing me, and you being scarier, generally. It occurs to me that the nobody-ever-died-of game is probably a lot harder to play in Galarian than in Dathilan. Not least because you can't look up the answers. But for the record, when I say something like that, people have died even in civilization of that, and probably a lot more before civilization. You can, for example, say, I object to your statement on the grounds that it is false. And then I can reply with something like, No, proximal cause of death was probably air-fuel starvation of the brain in almost all of the cases you're thinking of, or A, they went to an afterlife. And so it continues. I have to say, though, it wouldn't have occurred to me to think that being physically stronger would make me more dangerous in any significant sense. It's just something I expected to be fun. My main association with high strength is frontline fighters, and they're terrifying. Not as terrifying as a high-level wizard, but only because pretty much nothing in the world is as scary as a high-level wizard. Not actually seeing it, but I suppose now that you mention it, the Nadal invasion sure had a lot of people waving around big, sharp metal objects for a world I would have thought had more dangerous options than that. 
like the security wizard with us lighting up the whole perimeter with exploding balls of fire. Spells take time to get off, and it's reasonably common for demons, or important people, to have magic shielding against spells affecting them. You want wizards, and you want a bunch of people with sharp sticks in between the wizards and the problem. Note how security only got like ten seconds in which to do that. Also, I assume Nadal didn't just want to kill you, so they had to get into melee. There's no way to steal a soul from a distance. Do you know how that soul-stealing thing would work? And do you think they were specifically planning that, rather than stuffing me into a hammer space, or mind control and run me out of the Forbiddance? Probably they had several plans. They'd have to get you out of the Forbiddance alive to put you in a pocket dimension. They could also have tried turning you into an insensible animal and kidnapping that. I know there's a powerful spell called Soulbind for imprisoning the soul of a person as they die, but I don't know what preparation that would have needed. Would have required them to be in melee, though. It's too bad Kuthides are so hard to interrogate usefully. Subject matter too grim. Change topic. Of course, his mind goes on thinking anyways. Is Carissa implying that Kuthites are harder to interrogate because Chelish interrogation tries to use pain as an interrogation tool? Probably. Keltham adds it to a list of things that are actually worrying, not so much on conspiracy theory, why would she say that on the conspiracy, as on the possibility that there's some final and deepest piece of Galarian bad news that requires him to build civilization here, only far away from every existing government in this world, and play that hand only once he is ready to defeat them all in open military battle. He'd rather not talk about that, look in that direction right now. If that final grimdark realization comes, it will come at the point where all of his relationships that he wants to advance have advanced far enough for those women to follow him. Lean. She said it because Alter Carissa would, because Taldor has this problem too. Right. Back to finding new topics of conversation. Do you want to hear my ranking of all of security that I've met by who is scariest? Spoken like somebody who thinks I can tell the security wizards apart from each other. Like, at all. Fair. They try to be a bit indistinguishable, deliberately, I think. Do you want to talk about Asmodean theology? I'm not actually any good at explaining it, but now that Pilar's yelled at you about it, it has crossed my mind that maybe that's a bad reason not to try. I admit, I hadn't particularly thought before about the question, wait, why is Jacinth Subirax a priestess of Asmodeus? Which was not what I'd thought Asmodeus was particularly about. I can see how she might be the opposite side of Pilar, but not what either of those things have to do with Asmodeus in the first place. Asmodeus's concerns are pride, contracts, law in whatever sense you meant that word before you knew me, and being the chief executive of hell, right? Did it translate as being the chief executive of hell? I guess Baseline doesn't have the concept. One of Asmodeus's domains of concern is trying for words you'll have power. Not just in the sense that he rules hell, but also in the sense that power relations between individuals are of interest to him and understood to be a way of relating to him. This thing, she leans into him, is pleasing to Asmodeus, insofar as he can notice what mortals are doing at all. I thought Asmodeus was weirder, more alien, less human, than, well, power relations between individuals like Pilar and Subirax. Asmodeus is very alien, and his will is hard to understand. 
And also, he tends to predictably cleric people like Pilar and Subarax. Did he, like, make people like Pilar, who don't want to have free will anymore? Keltham thinks, but does not say, people like you. Thinks, but does not say, that making there be masochists is ethically questionable behavior for a god, and possibly the sort of behavior that causes Galarian civilization to arrest one. He doesn't actually believe that it's wrong for masochists to exist, but he hasn't really thought about it either. And it can be wrong to make a person who is then not wrong in themselves to exist, as Keltham's parents thought of themselves, and Keltham. He made people who didn't have free will, who belonged to law, and made the correct choice with no real sense they could instead make the incorrect choice as it wasn't in their natures, and other gods broke that, and that produced the current situation where people have free will, but some of them don't want it. As I understand it. Probably ask Subirox if that has implications as weird and surprising as the abyss being infinite, because I've always been of the, if mortals are known to predictably get confused about this, then I'll just wait until I'm a devil school of thought when it comes to theology. Keltham is relieved, but only slightly. He has a sense from prior grimdark experience of a Galarian doom fact possibly hovering somewhere just out of his vision, but he doesn't know the exact direction to look, and maybe rather wouldn't right now. Infinite abyss-level weird implications? No. What does Asmodeus think about Pilar's obligate fetish? Or what does his church say about ethics and procedures there? The church would say that it makes her a very valuable possession for the kind of person who wants and needs that, the kind of person who can complete her, and she ought to have it, and that it's not just an ordinary crime, though obviously, depending on details, it might be an ordinary crime, but also a sort of sacrilege, to have a possession like that and not treasure her and protect her and ensure that she finds fulfillment. It's not really landing. Civilization probably wouldn't end up saying that. Or if the argument landed, it would be an argument meshing more smoothly into civilization frameworks that Carissa doesn't know about, that Keltham isn't sure he really knows about, to the level he maybe should. Would the Kelthamverse end up saying it? Pilar isn't anyone's possession right now, is she? What determines who gets to have her if she can't say yes to it? Well, now we've got Caden Kylian involved. I don't really know how that changes things. I think a lot of people like Pilar just have Asmodeus in that place their whole life and their romantic life isn't spectacularly fulfilling. Or some give themselves to Asmodeus's priests since those he's vetted, whereby give themselves, I mean something like make themselves known and see if there are takers. Or some discover that nature in themselves after they're in a relationship like ours though Pilar seems to not have that route available since she figured it out about herself already. I think probably if you don't end up growing in a direction where you want her and Subirax thinks you'd be good for her, then she'll get picked up by a very important Asmodean priest, given the circles she's moving in these days. But right now, even if any of them noticed her, they'd, uh, wait and see if you do grow in that direction, given the givens. My brain keeps thinking I ought to figure out a sufficiently surprising test and direct it here, and I'm asking my brain why the conspiracy would be faking this particular thing of all things, and my brain is not answering. Uh, don't figure out a clever way to prove it to me. I think this is a case where I take civilization's standard security advice and think of the test myself. 
It also includes proverbs about listening to your brain, even though your brain is really actually not always correct. Snuggle. Makes sense. I won't suggest any tests. And I just thought of like three. Sorry. It's just an interesting challenge. Pilar doesn't need you anyway. If you don't ever want her and no priest ever picks her up, then maybe she'll go to hell early at absolute worst. How many Pilars are there? Per 1,000, say. Good question. Not a hundred. Maybe ten? You're wondering how weird it is that you have twelve girls and she is one of them? It's weird. Not absurd, but weird. Fraction of Asmodian priests who are like Zubarax in the relevant way? One in twenty, maybe? That's not surprising, though. I think she got assigned in significant part to look out for me. Fraction of population that are priests of Asmodeus. One in a hundred. He's trying some kind of bizarre test, but she's giving true answers, so she should pass it. Twenty pillars per Subirak. Sounds like a crowded relationship, and a crowded market, and Subirak currently doesn't have any visible pillars. That made more sense when I thought you were saying that pillars went to Asmodean priests to get match made with somebody. Ah, Keltham. She tries not to be distressed. She'd be confused by this. Not distressed in Alter Sheliak's. I'd give decent odds Subirax has several at home, actually. But yeah, the reason Pilar can probably land a priest of Asmodeus is because she's important and interesting now. Not every girl like her is going to get a Subirax. I think lots of people like Pilar are unfulfilled. If it's that unthinkable for a priest of Asmodeus to distribute a Pilar to someone who isn't himself a priest of Asmodeus, how would it be okay for Subirax to tell me that I can have Pilar? Why does it feel like this to talk to Keltham even when you're not lying to him? Admittedly, she's mostly not lying to him in the sense of having only the foggiest sense what civilians get up to. It's not unthinkable? I don't know how common it is, but I wouldn't be surprised to hear about it. I bet Pilar could aim higher is all. If Cheliax isn't just throwing Pilar to me because I'm important, the amount they know about me should not stack up to the amount they know about many non-aliens who would want a Pilar. His arms tighten around her. I'm sorry. I don't want to talk about this. Maybe shouldn't talk about it for a bit. I should go with Yaisa before I go anywhere near Pilar. And I know that in the conspiracy, it wouldn't be that you were making this all up yourself, and I caught you out in an inconsistency that easily. But I thought I'd be less scared than this after the suggestion spell. But now I'm in love with you, and lose you if masochists are a conspiracy invention, and now I'm actually scared about that. It's not even an inconsistency. Those numbers are her actual best guess. I, I know there's nothing I can say to you about that, because I could say it in the conspiracy too. I hope you figure it out soon, though. I'll ask Subirax. It's stupid for me to be talking about this with you, of all people. That's just being cruel to myself. And Subirax is going to say something about... I shouldn't say it out loud. Not if I'm actually going to try to test the conspiracy on this, even though, even though why would the conspiracy be doing that if the plan isn't just to hurt me as much as possible? Don't answer that either. If I'm going to play that game with anybody, I'll ask Asmodea. Some part of his brain does seem to be convinced that letting himself fall in love with Carissa, as much as that looked like the courageous act of living your own best life, and not backing away from that out of simple fear on the surface appearances of things was actually a huge mistake. Keltham floats the internal argument that, if so, he has in fact already now made that mistake, and might as well go all in on it, 
and that what comes of it will come. It lands a little, maybe. If I could make safe wishes, Keltham whispers, ones that should not work even in a world of magic, I'd wish that all the Kelthams across all the worlds could ask one true question to their Carissa of the conspiracy, no matter how rare she is among their worlds, to ask her if somehow even she loves him, or maybe just if she's okay despite having to play the role of being tortured. I don't know why I'm thinking that. She'd just be like, no, obviously. And how would that help? I might not be imagining the same conspiracy as you, and I don't have the slightest idea what I could say that would capture the carisse and the conspiracy that you're imagining meaningfully. Like, I can swear to it, I'm tempted to, but I'd be scared that Carissa in the conspiracy just condemns herself to Abaddon and burns the law and becomes someone who can never serve at the world wound and who can't sustain a world that fights the world wound at all. Because I don't understand what Carissa in the conspiracy wants, so I'm not sure it makes sense to say she wouldn't do that. Don't swear to it. That reasoning is correct. Maybe I just want to hear her say no, so that those Kelthams can apologize to her and go back to their more probable Carissas. Why am I thinking so much about her? She's not you. You don't have to solve this problem. Basic security reasoning says you can't. I have to. And the way it gets solved is that I orient to Galarian and play the game against people who aren't you and rule out at least the conspiracies that are weak enough that they can't just synthesize real masochists, rule out the conspiracies that have to improvise after I run into Carissa at the world wound and whose scans didn't detect me the instant I showed up in Galarian because those weaker conspiracies I could catch, and if they're enough smarter than I am, then I'll never know, but also you won't be hurting, because that's not what's efficient. If they have the power to eliminate that risk of being caught, you'll just be an actual masochist. They made for me, or maybe not exist at all except as a more complicated illusion, and if so, I'll never find out, and I'll know that, and someday I'll go to a lawful being who doesn't answer to Asmodeus and say that I'm looking to buy a consensual permanent version of a suggestion to not have to think about that possibility anymore unless I deliberately decide to, and then I'll be done and able to live inside Galarian as it appears to be. That doesn't sound like a satisfactorily good ending. I want a better one. I genuinely don't see how you get a better ending than that even as a god. There could always be a bigger god that's fooling you. And we have now lain in bed long enough for the conversation to turn incredibly depressing, which is silly, and next time, we should get out of bed while we're still ahead of ourselves on points. You become the biggest god. But she gets out of bed. He follows. There isn't a biggest god any more than there's a biggest number. I mean, as a large enough god, much bigger than Asmodeus by the sound of it. Maybe you can calculate where you mostly are inside reality directly but there could still be a larger god containing you and messing with your calculations, and then that's the possibility you'd rewrite yourself to not bother thinking about anymore. I suppose there could be some clever solution I'm not seeing, due to not actually being even a small god. Declaring that you need to become a better god is sometimes worth an extra cleric level from Irori if he has that sort of relationship with someone, but he and Carissa Siva currently don't. Meanwhile, the Project Lawful researchers have decided that Pilar is usually a pretty nice person, so long as you don't punch her in the faith, but can be provoked. Asmodea sends Pilar to ask Mayalyol for tips on how that sort of thing works with the worshippers of other gods, which Mayalyol can in fact provide her. 
though Mayol also informs Asmodia afterwards that he, Mayol, is not particularly tolerant of attempts to duck out potential punishments by sending your subordinate to annoy somebody instead of doing that yourself. The conspirators work some on figuring out who they are in Alter Cheliacs, and spend some time reading in the library because that's probably what non-Asmodeans do. If Keltham asks, they were mostly reading in the library or getting in some magical practice. Keltham and Carissa arrive rather late to lunch, but there's sufficient food left to feed them. Afterwards, Keltham announces that he needs to think over the whole keeper thing in the back of his mind. And also, in fact, he does have work to be done at some point which isn't lessons. Namely, writing up an interim contract between the project and Cheliacs, and, of course, writing up a contract for the project itself. He's sorry for not thinking ahead to this part earlier. But yeah, everybody go take the rest of the day off or catch up on things. He'll figure out by tomorrow what to do about the keeper business. And Keltham writes up the contracts, or rather sketches, what should be in them. There's no point in going formal or handing it to somebody like Lurilatha before having negotiated the pieces. He does successfully remember to actually use the lesser restoration on himself when he starts feeling tired. When he's done, he writes up a summary of the key points and ideas and hands it in to Mayol to hopefully make its way to some appropriate person in governance. Flirting occurs at dinner time, but of the girls no longer employed by Project Lawful, only Yaisa attempts to flirt with Keltham. He doesn't take anybody to the cuddle room. That part of him feels a little tired, but only in a temporary way. Keltham takes time for wizard practice as well and successfully hangs an auditory hallucination. It only targets one person per level, alas, unlike Silent Image, so he uses it to play some of Civilization's professional-level music for Carissa, pieces Keltham has listened to often enough to remember in due order. And then Keltham goes to sleep and shortly before dawn becomes a statue. If you wish to support this AI reading and others like it, please visit patreon.com slash askwhocastsai. Any help is appreciated. And thank you to executive producer John Doe 7776059.